right, welcome back to the Gospel for Life. We're so glad that you joined us again. Around the table is Pastor Jonathan Van Hoogen, my co-host. We've scared, we've officially scared everybody else off, but you're still, why do you still hang with me? You know, we're just best buds, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm so honored. I'm so glad to hear that. Um, where can people find you at? We're at Dayspring um, Reformed Church. We meet at the Whitney French Church, 3102 Palouse Street, uh, up in the Vista Overland area. Uh, you can find uh, directions there on our website, church at dayspringboise.com. And you're preaching through judges. Through judges. Awesome. And we come to... Samson, who is uh, the Pentecostal judge. That's right, yeah. My name is Josh Bells. I am one of the pastors at The Well Boise. We're preaching through 1 Corinthians right now, almost through the book. It's been two years, two glorious years. Uh, you can find us at thewellboise.com. Also around the table today, one of, would you, are we friends mostly? Can you say that on the air without getting I don't know, man. I don't, I don't know what my church pause. would think. <laughs> It, it, it was a separate, an awkward pause. It, it, it's it? a separatist, you know. <laughs> That's <laughs> it, it was hard enough to get him in to sit in yeah. the same room. Though. Yeah, yeah. No. Pastor Tim Hazelbaker from Middleton First Baptist. Man, I got to say, I visited your church um, last summer. Monica and I, uh, well, I was on sabbatical, and I kind of wanted just to, you know, vi- visit a visit a friend. I was really, I was really blessed. By your preaching and by your congregation, and I'm just knowing a little bit of the history there. That it was um, a church that was kind of it was it was dying, and just to see what God has done there and revitalized it through uh, through the Word. It's like what Martin Luther said, right? Like um, Luther, Luther, you know, um, look look how much you've changed the world. He's like, I changed the world. I didn't change the world. I sat in in uh, Wittenberg bars drinking Wittenberg beer. It was the Word of God that did everything. Yeah, I, well, I, don't, I don't know if you're confessing to the fact that you were sitting in Wittenberg Bar, but <laughs> <laughs> I do. I do know the very first time uh, that I was made aware of you was at one of our Reformation conferences that we held, and uh, one of one of the the people that attend our church had actually grown up with you in Mountain Home, yes, Idaho. You can't say Mountain Home on the air, can you? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think you can. And, and that, but, but he said that you were both surprised at where you guys ended up. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, that was, I mean, it was, it, was, it was a shock, but it was a wonderful shock. And I mean, that's what we were talking about yesterday is the miracle of conversion. Yeah. And boy, what, how wonderful it is to see when God changes a person from the inside out. And I mean, it's the same thing is true of the history of our church in the last few years is all I can say is that the Lord has been merciful and kind to us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Amen. And then there's you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, we he also me so much. <laughs> Ben Rao, um, you you came a little you came a little distance to be with us um, here recently, yeah, right? Just a short stroll Cro- really. across the pond, further than Mountain Home. Yeah, <laughs> quite a bit. Yeah. <laughs> Still waiting for the goods to arrive from England. Yeah, there's like some boxes. Uh, I, well, I hope they're still on a boat um, somewhere. Yeah, or or may- maybe even they've made it to uh, the west coast. Of this land. Yeah, we'll see. Mm. Well, um, we are talking about conversion. We are talking about 
the the Pentecostal Samson, the true and better Jesus. You know, um, as we mentioned here a couple of days ago, when when people hear the word Pentecost, the the immediate word association is Pentecostal or tongues or Holy Spirit. But if you really look at what, it's not that the Holy Spirit is absent. He's absolutely present here at Pentecost. This is the reason why 3,000 souls were converted that day. Um, Salvation is a work of all three members of the Trinity. God is electing. um, The Son is atoning. And the Spirit is um, regenerating. And that's all present here. But the message of Pentecost is not the Holy Spirit. And it's not tongues. The message of Pentecost is... Jesus. Yeah. Actually, people have referred to um, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, as as the shy member of the Trinity because he points everywhere to Christ and God, not to himself. That's right. So Peter, as we said here a couple of days ago, Peter, uh, the whole outline of his sermon is just um, – it's it's literally a few of his original words uh, bookended by scripture. First Joel, and then he goes into Acts uh, or, or Psalm one ten and and Psalm sixteen, and and really he's just expositing the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. So let's let's pick up um, let's pick up in verse twenty five. Once you read for us, brother. Verse twenty five. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me. For he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. All right, so what is, um, what is Peter quoting there? Psalm 16. That's right. Now, if, if you were to read that... Um, I don't know. I, I guess without, I guess without the apostle Peter infallibly interpreting the scripture through the Holy Spirit, like I don't know if I would get there on my own. As far as realizing it's a prophecy about the Messiah, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, he's obviously prophesying about a resurrection. He says, "You will not let my body see corruption." So he's confident that God will raise him up. Well, and I even think because I've I've studied and taught this psalm. That and I, I can't remember the commentaries that I've read on it, but you know, in, in its immediate context, David seems like he's in a trial. He doesn't really specify what's going on. It just he opens, "Preserve me, I'm taking refuge in you." So it's kind of the implication is he is in a trial. And the amazing thing is that throughout it, he's talking about how wonderful life is and how wonderful God is. And as for the saints in the land, uh, they're the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. And you know, even as far as what is he predicting, you're not going to let my soul decay or you're not going to let your holy one see corruption people if i remember correctly are thinking that as david is immediately speaking it's more well you're going to rescue me from this trial this one's not going to take me out Mm. so so that maybe was what david was saying there yeah but in the bigger picture david's referring to well and that's what peter says he's not talking about himself here i mean in the immediate he is but in the big picture he's prophesying of his son yeah these are not just david's notes this is inspired scripture Mm -hmm. right right yeah, and so then Peter, um, once you read just the next few verses, Peter then interprets what David was saying starting in verse 29. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, 
that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. All right, let's stop there. Why, why did these Jews need to hear this? So put yourself there in, in, in that crowd, um, 50 days after the ascension in heaven. Why did these Jews need to hear this message? Because standing there, they could actually uh, see where David's tomb was. Mm. Is, that, is that a historical fact? Yeah. Or, I mean, obviously, I mean, they're in Jerusalem, right? But Yeah. So they're, they're – and they, these were the ones – he just stuck their finger, his finger in their face saying, you're the ones who crucified this man. Yeah. You know, he, he's, he's reminding them that – also that, you know, David's bones are there, but, you know, Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. This is, this is something that's already happened. You know, this is – you know – that's why, that's why even on the road to Emmaus, you know, the disciples, you know, are are talking about all the events that had taken place in, in Jerusalem. Then there, so already the message is out there. Yeah, and even from the other side too, the opposition had made up a lie. Yeah, because they had to admit that they didn't know where the body was, mm-hmm. and so you go read the end of Matthew twenty-eight, um, mm-hmm. and it's just before the Great Commission. In fact, it's it's fascinating. You have these two messages that are juxtaposed to one another you have the opposition saying you know you go tell go tell people that you know you were asleep and the disciples came and stole his body and then we'll we'll take care of you guys we'll make sure that it doesn't go anywhere and uh it says that's the message that's been circulating throughout jerusalem to this day and then you have the great commission which is go forth and preach to all the nations and i'll be with you until the end of the age Mm -hmm. right um so, but even the point is, even the enemies had to admit their the body. We don't know where it is, and so Peter's saying, and here, well, we do. <laughs> it's yeah. it's in heaven, right? Mm-hmm. Well, and I I think um some sometimes uh, maybe maybe you're a Christian this morning and you're listening and um you're, you're fairly familiar with the Bible and sometimes being really familiar with the Bible you can miss certain things that are that are right there in front of you. He's talking about the crucifixion of Christ. He's talking about the resurrection of Christ. And then all of a sudden he talks about this idea of a throne. Why does he why does Peter's mind go to the throne? That one of David's descendants will sit on the throne. What's the connection between Jesus sitting on the throne and what's happening at Pentecost? Well, he's tying he's tying in the ascension there. Um, you know, the ascension the ascension is the enthronement of Christ. Um Pentecost is, um, you know, the the coronation. You might say, mm-hmm. um, you know, Jesus is a throne to the right hand of the Father. Um, you know, in the ascension, um, he is the one that sits eternally on the the throne that was promised. But then you know, now we have this coronation day when he's pouring out his gifts on his people. Right. Right, Be- because he has all authority mm-hmm. in heaven and earth, because now he has been given dominion in a kingdom that all persons might might um, uh, serve him. Uh, this is like the first act of his of his being enthroned, where he's pouring out his spirit and and essentially um, starting to change the world. Yeah, they, um, I heard. Uh a sermon by Sinclair Ferguson one time and he's talking about he's talking about when he said I, he was old enough to remember when Queen Elizabeth came to the to the throne mm-hmm. and he and he mentions how he mentions you know immediately she was the queen on the death of her parents there um but but then it was the next day that 
the the coronation took place uh, the, where the nation was uh, celebrating. And he, he said as a boy, he actually, she gave, gifts were given to every child in the kingdom. And, uh, and he says, I, I received this cup with candy in it, uh, you know, the, you know, in my town. And he said, so all the children got gifts. And this is what God has, what Christ has done when he, um, has been ascended to the throne. This is the coronation. And the gift of the Holy Spirit is being poured out on his people. Yeah. Yeah. That's like Ephesians 4, that when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. Yes. And that's speaking of the the spiritual gifts within the church. Right. And so in one sense, there there was two pouring, two giving of gifts here at Pentecost. The first gift was this gift of speaking in tongues. But the second gift was was even greater because it resulted in conversion. And that's what we talked about on yesterday's program, that 3,000 people, because of the work of the Spirit that Jesus was pouring out on the, the right hand of God, were, were coming into the kingdom. The promise of the Spirit who brings us adoption into the family is promised to us and our children and to all who are far off mm-hmm. As many as our Lord or God shall call. Mm. Amen. Well, you've been listening to the Gospel for Life. We're so glad that you uh, joined us today. Don't forget about our annual Reformation Boise Conference coming up October 21st and 22nd. The theme will be the church. And we'll have two great speakers, Dr. Joel Beakey from uh, Puritan Reform Seminary and Pastor, and then Dr. Derek Thomas. Um, what church is Derek Thomas at? Do you know it's like First Pres He's or something? First Presbyterian in Columbia, South Carolina. Yeah. So a Dutchman and a Welshman. It's going to be mm-hmm. awesome. Uh, go to ReformationVoices.com. You can register there for free. We'll see you next time.